With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yes, yes, everybody. It is another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. I am your host, Colton Denning, coming to you from Oakland, California, and as always, I am joined by my friend, my co-host, my Land Grant Holy Land cohort, and your favorite, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, what's up, man? Uh, happy to be back on the mic. We've uh, we've been off for a little while, and we've been slacking. Yeah, a little we've bit. we've had some 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 content to produce off mic, and uh, but we're happy to get back into it. Get these takes firing off. I know that people have desperately wanted our takes, and. Uh, we've been getting antsy on Twitter talking about uh, Kirk Benkert and all of the important things that we love in college football. So we got to get these recorded and get these takes out. I know you've been producing content, which we'll talk about, but honestly, I've just been listening to the Drake album and I ask for everybody's forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today is since the last time we recorded, Ohio State has a lot of stars, a whole lot of stars. That's probably going to be the title of this episode because I think since the last time we recorded, Ohio State has picked up eight different commitments in the 2019 and 2020 classes. I think four total in each one. There's about 32 total stars in all of this. Man, it it is flying right now because Ohio State recruiting was very quiet for a while, but in the past really week, it's picked up really heavily but in the past month there's been a lot in these next two classes coming up yeah it's really been an assault on me personally the amount of commitments that they've landed um especially because we uh to to go a little bit inside baseball there are commitments that we have pre-writes for at the website and most of these have not been ones that had pre-writes uh which is mean of the recruits to do um, but it's been a very, very good month for Ohio State. Uh, you mentioned both 2019 and 2020 have picked up four commitments, and we'll we'll touch on all of uh, the the individuals a little bit, uh, you know, and what the individual commitments mean. But the the main takeaway from the last month or so with recruiting uh, has been that this 2020 class is really, really good, um, and there's been. I'm sure a lot of people have seen the excitement on social media from committed recruits, from targets that Ohio State's looking at in the class about how this there there's a special just kind of a vibe around the class that it could be Urban Meyer's best, not just at Ohio State, but in his career. Um, and that that's really been kind of the guiding force of the last month or so is the the rise of the 2020 class. Let's get into that a little bit because we've seen – classes at Ohio State that have all been pretty damn good. The 2013 one, of course, is the one that stands out to most people, given what a lot of those guys did, not only for the national championship team, but 2015, and then what they've gone on to do in the NFL. And the last two have been very highly rated. What is, I guess, the the strategy of the 2020 class? And what is making this kind of, like you said, that special vibe? Is it in-state players from Ohio? Is it being able to cast a net nationally? What what makes this 2020 class so highly regarded from everybody right now when we're still two years away? Well, I, I think the main thing <clears throat> is that the uh, the core group in this class, the first four guys that committed being uh, Jake Ray, quarterback Jack Miller, Paris Johnson, and uh, legend Cavazos, those guys are really, really good friends. All of those guys are really familiar with each other. Um, I think, I, I don't remember, I think it was Letterman Rowe wrote an article about uh, their friendship that was really good. Um, and these are these are guys who know each other. They've been familiar with each other. They all had kind of communicated online before they eventually met in person at Ohio State on a visit. And these are guys who have been planning to commit to Ohio State for a while now. 
Um, and I think that the the leadership of those four has really been a guiding force in this class. And uh, we saw, you know, whenever this goes up, probably yesterday, then we saw Luke Weipler commit, uh, making it the fifth uh, commitment in the in the class. And that's another top 100 four star lineman. Uh, and there's just there's so many top recruits interested in Ohio State. Uh, the number one player in the country, Brian Breesey, I think it is, uh, defensive end, is very interested in Ohio State. You have several more five-star skill position players, a guy like Justin Rogers, five-star guard. Uh, all of these guys seem to be favoring Ohio State, and uh, I think that the the leadership in the core of this class as well as the the focus on off the field stuff that Ohio State has been taking with the Real Wife Wednesdays program, or um, you know, various academic-based approaches that Ohio State's been taking that really uh, that really show what the program's all about to these recruits. And I, I think that the 2020 class, it's really hitting for them, and it's it's really something that uh, they're able to sell and is being you know, accepted and embraced by these guys. On that leadership front for the 2020 class, that's something a lot of coaches and recruits talk about is, is having some, some player, regardless of position, that's kind of at the head of that. And in this case for Ohio State, it looks like it is Jack Miller, the quarterback out of Chaparral in Scottsdale, Arizona, rated as the 47th ranked prospect in that 2020 class, the third ranked quarterback. He committed on, I believe, July 1st, what stands out to you about Jack Miller, not only on the field, but in that leadership regard when it comes to this 2020 class? Well, uh, generally in recruiting, when you get a, a quarterback committed, you want him to to take over a leadership role. Um, and Jack was going to do that regardless of when he committed. He's very well known in recruiting circles, very friendly with quite a few top recruits, including uh, Darvon Hubbard, who's actually his running back for their high school team, and a guy who I imagine will be headed to Ohio State as well in the 2020 class. But to get him committed two years out, essentially, from signing day, because these guys won't sign until either December of 2019 or February of 2020. Uh, and to get him committed with so much time in between when these guys actually sign and when they can be recruited is such a big deal because he can really start those relationships with receivers and linemen and running backs and even guys on the defensive side of the ball I know he's been communicating with. And it's really, it's so important to have someone who can kind of be the face of your class. And that's not to say that the other guys who are currently committed, um, specifically somebody who stands out to me is Legend Cavazos, is a, a guy who's really leading the the charge on the defensive side recruiting. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's so important to have somebody in already who other recruits know is good, know they can trust, and you know know that they can go to to get an idea of what Ohio State's all about. And Jack is really doing that. I think he's a guy who's going to be active at camps, uh, be it different camps at Ohio State or camps put on by recruiting sites. And then ultimately, um, more likely than not, he'll be at Nike's, uh, the opening camp that they do every year that we'll touch on this year's version a little bit later. Um, but that's that's a huge thing to have. And we saw the 2019 class struggling with that. Just They just picked up their quarterback of the class and Dwan Mathis. Uh, but getting a quarterback in the class early is really a huge deal in terms of just having someone who can lead the class and uh, helping coaches identify who the you know who they should be targeting. I don't know if this really means anything, but something that stood out to me in just looking at 2020 right now and the five commitments is four out of those five guys are basically at backbone positions. You have Jack Miller, who's a quarterback. You have two offensive tackles in Jake Ray and Paris Johnson Jr. And then Legend Cavazos at safety. So you have these four kids who play very cerebral, important parts on both sides of the ball and not only acting as leaders in this class, but also eventually, you know, if they sign with Ohio State and end up coming to Columbus, are going to be linchpins of your team playing very important positions. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that I think we've seen a lot of out of Urban Meyer as opposed to when he was at Florida, you really didn't see him going out and getting these kind of guys. 
which is to say that at Ohio State, especially in the past couple of recruiting cycles, Urban has really put an emphasis on getting kids who can lead, on getting kids who are you know interested in improving off the field as well as on it, in, in getting guys who he knows he can trust to do the right thing. Um, and, and I think that you know, with guys like Paris Johnson Jr., with guys like Jake Ray, uh, you know, everybody in the in the 2020 class so far, I, I think are guys that Urban really trusts and that he he really thinks that they can lead this group not only on the field but as people. Um, and that's you know that that shows up with the with the backbone recruiting, as you mentioned, with going out and getting two tackles and Ray and Johnson that are. I mean, as calm as you'll see on the field when they're playing and, you know, they, they seem to be really in control of the situation. And that's something that a lot of high school players don't really develop until they get to the next level. And that's something that Urban's really focusing on with every recruit in the 2020 class to this point. Getting back to Jack Miller and quarterback play, do you think Ohio State has, I don't know if buck the trend's the right term, but switched up their style now with their quarterback recruiting because – Jack Miller regarded as more of, I don't even know pro style is the right word at this point, given what offenses around the country and in the NFL do, but has those pocket passer tendencies, can move around a little bit. But Dwan Mathis is a kid who also can stand in the pocket, make throws. We see Matthew Baldwin in the previous class. It seems like after Tate Martell, there's really been a shift in the way that Ohio State has targeted these quarterback recruits yeah there there definitely has i think that that can be chalked up to ryan day coming in um that is the the kind of quarterback that he likes after working in the nfl under chip kelly uh he really likes quarterbacks who can kind of do it all and don't just depend on their legs uh, but also don't just depend on their arm uh that's that's kind of the the trend between all three of the quarterback commitments he's helped land in you know baldwin mathis and now miller is that while all of them are pass first, none of them are statues. They're all capable of running. They're all capable of running the read option. It's just that Day wants to bring a a more pass-heavy attack to Ohio State. Um, you know, you even see that with Dwayne Haskins is, is somebody who's a pass-first quarterback, and he can run but would prefer to throw. Um, and I think that that's something that Urban is on board with. It was just something that he's not particularly good at identifying. Um, you know, we, we saw it at Florida with guys like Jeff Driscoll. Urban doesn't really know what he's looking for with pocket passers, and I, I don't think that's even really a knock on him. It's just that he spent so long looking for dual threat guys. Um, and I think Ryan Day is a really, really good addition to this staff to look for the, the more balanced throw-first guys. And I, I think if you're looking for kind of a – a fair comparison for what Ohio State's trying to do at quarterback. I think it would be like Alex Smith at Utah, the way that Urban Meyer used him uh, with even less running than Smith did. But that's that's really been something that they've focused on, and that's something that they're really happy with is the quarterbacks that they've brought in under day. I think that that's an interesting conundrum for, for Ohio State fans too because a lot of us have wanted to see a lot less quarterback runs in, in the offense, especially those design runs that we saw with JT Barrett the past couple of seasons. But at the same time, I think a lot of us are also so used to it and tied to that with Barrett and Braxton Miller that the thought of a guy who stands back in the pocket is a little bit disconcerting, even though we've seen it work with Cardale Jones. We saw it work in the Michigan game with Dwayne Haskins. We saw it work in the fourth quarter with JT Barrett in the uh, in the Penn State game so I think that that's an interesting spot for Ohio State fans that like we all know it works but at the same time I think we're a little hesitant to get away just from the straight up dual threat I'm gonna run I'm dynamic because no matter what you want to say about Barrett there, there were times where he could break some plays so I, I think that that's that's interesting to see the way that it's changed and to your credit a lot of that, or to your point, a lot of that credit goes to Ryan Day. Yeah, and I, I think that that change is you know, something that certainly has weighed on Urban Meyer's mind even. Um, you know, that's <clears throat> this, this has certainly not been an easy transition for Ohio State to make, and this is something that was not just a, a one day they decided that they wanted to go after pass-first quarterbacks. This is something that they have talked about and and worked on to build a playbook around a quarterback that can pass before he runs 
Um, and I, I think that this is really going to be the first year that we'll actually see how that looks on the field because, you know, even going back to like 2011, Ohio State has had a, a run-first quarterback. And, I mean, I think Terrell Pryor could be considered a run-first quarterback as well. So you could go back as far as like Troy Smith and like Todd Beckman era before you see passing again. And it, it was it, – it's going to be a – a big change. I think that there's going to be things that Ohio State fans have completely forgotten a quarterback will do. Um, I, I think that there will be some really exciting, great moments where, you know, Dwayne Haskins throws the ball 60 yards and it gets complete and it's not way over somebody's head. Uh, and there will also be moments where he forces a pass and it gets intercepted. There are things that quarterbacks do that JT Barrett and Braxton Miller didn't really do. Um, and that's not really a negative or a positive a lot of times it was just neutral but it is different and that's something that I think uh, Ohio State fans are generally willing to accept um, and obviously after seeing Ohio State's offense specifically in the 2015 and 2016 season it's pretty easy to tell that there needs to be some kind of change or some kind of move towards a more dynamic offense but it is it's a new system and there's always a chance for a new system to fail and I think that that's kind of where the concerns come from yeah and just so we're covering all of our bases as well we know Tate Martell is still yeah. on the roster Tate Martell's he's, still he's cool. definitely yeah. gonna see some <laughs> PT we want to see him get some PT and run around and make plays and I, I think the the good thing about this system and this coaching staff is yes they are trending towards a certain quarterback but the, if there's a guy like Tate Martell or another top level quarterback that has more of a dual threat I'm going to run tendency and they're that good this staff isn't going to hesitate to bring them on as well yeah yeah for sure I mean I, I've talked about this guy before but another because Ohio State wants to bring in two quarterbacks in 2020 another name to watch is uh, Pickerington Central I believe Pickerington Central's quarterback Demetri Crenshaw uh, also a, a 2020 guy and he's much more of a run first quarterback and that might be kind of Ohio State's approach is that if they're bringing in a dual threat guy it'll be as the other option if the pass first guy doesn't work um, and that's certainly not to say that I think Jack Miller won't work because I think Jack Miller will work and I think he's really good but um, if there's you know top dual threat talent in Ohio or nearby that's interested in Ohio State Ohio State's not going to pass up on that I mean Good quarterbacks are good quarterbacks, and they, they still know that. Uh, so I, I don't think that it's the end of running quarterbacks at Ohio State by any means. It's just a shift towards a more power spread type look, more of a kind of similar to like what Tom Herman did with Cardale Jones at the end of the 2014 season. Um, and I think that it's it's almost more like what we see in the SEC nowadays at schools that aren't Auburn, but like Alabama does it, Georgia does it, where they have a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field and then powerful, hard-hitting running backs, and that's kind of what Ohio State is veering into, and it works for them, so I'm not really sure why it wouldn't work for Ohio State. We don't want to forget the 2019 class either because there's a lot of exciting things happening on that front as well in the recent commitments of Harry Miller, what Jordan Battle and quarterback Dwan Mathis. Battle is a guy that I didn't know much about until this commitment. He committed on the 29th four-star safety out of St. Thomas Aquinas, which Ohio State and a lot of other schools around the country have had a lot of success recruiting guys. Seems like a prototypical safety. Uh, the big thing that I like about a kid like Jordan Battle is he's already kind of getting college level coaching at St. Thomas Aquinas. And so he's a name that I'm really looking out for. What do you think about Jordan Battle's commitment and Ohio State at the safety spot right now? Because that, that seems like a position that's always rotating, you know, along with everything else happening in the secondary and how good those guys are. But Jordan Battle is a very intriguing player, I think. Yeah, Jordan is uh, kind of the another shift in uh, um, approach to recruiting because he he's more of the rangy kind of safety that Ohio State's been looking at for the last couple of years after their success with Malik Hooker. Um, he's a fantastic athlete, really, really good in, in zone coverage, really good at making up ground, and that's exactly what they're looking for. Um, they have, 
I want to say four guys in this class, in the 2019 class, that are capable of playing safety in battle. Uh, Bryson Shaw, Ronnie Hickman, and Craig Young, who also committed relatively recently. I think that was about a month ago. Um, and all of those guys have the kind of the same approach to playing, where they're, they're very quick, very athletic, um, very able to... They're extremely capable of winning 50-50 balls, essentially. They're designed to take away the deep ball, and uh, I, I think that it'll be Battle and Shaw that end up at safety in this class, while Craig Young will move up to linebacker and Hickman will play cornerback. But all of those guys are very long athletes, um, really kind of valuing athleticism and speed and, and thinking that they can develop the you know, man coverage skills later, or the tackle skills later, and I think that uh, Alex Grinch and uh, Greg Schiano have proven that they can teach tackling and the, the rugby-style tackle. And uh, a lot of these guys already have the foundation, and that's really what Ohio State's looking for. This class is at 13 commitments right now, ranked as the eighth-best class in the country per the 24-7 sports composite. Second in the Big Ten have, has an average rating of 92 five seven so another solid class it hasn't seemed like the 2019 class has gotten the pub as like the last three classes and now the 2020 class has gotten but on pace to be another excellent class what can we expect from the rest of the summer leading up into that early signing period from 2019 well now that they have Dwan mathis uh committed they have their quarterback all figured out they have running back figured out um, they mostly have their line figured out, save for a couple spots. Uh, the main focus is going to be on skill positions. Uh, they're looking at a couple of different receivers. The ones that really stand out are Jamison Williams, Marcus Washington, Elijah Higgins, even a guy like Dave Bell. Um, they're, they, they want four receivers in this class to replace the talent that's leaving because there's a ton of seniors that are leaving the recruiting or the receiver room after this year. Um, and Garrett Wilson is really leading the way on that front. But receiver, uh, they're going to be looking at cornerback a little bit. They don't really need a ton of quarterback cornerbacks in this class because they've brought in a bunch the last couple of years. But I think they're just about done at linebacker as well. So it, I think it'll mostly be defensive line, wide receiver, cornerback the rest of the way. Um, and with the receivers that I mentioned, um, up front there are a couple different tackles. Uh, that they're looking at, and like Tyler Davis is the main one that comes to mind. And then the top remaining target in the class is, of course, Zach Harrison, who I don't think is number one in the class right now. I think he's third, but the defensive end from, um, I want to say Lewis County, or not Lewis County, Lewis Center, Ohio. Um, they're in a battle right now with Penn State and Michigan for him, and he's a, a huge target, a huge deal, and they're really looking to lock him up hopefully by – Early to mid-August seems to be the timeline for him, but he may wait until after his high school season is over as well. The receiver thing is interesting because I've alluded to it on this podcast last season that when uh, when those guys dip, I don't know if I'm going to be that disappointed when some <laughs> of them are, are gone. So it'll be nice to have some new blood in Ohio State's receiving room. It definitely seems like there is much more of a focus in these past couple classes on getting more true receivers and more dynamic sort of guys rather than those H-back type of players that we've seen in the past. Garrett Wilson is a kid that I saw some at the opening he's and unreal. already looks like he should be in Columbus. He looks very good. Yeah, he's uh, Garrett Wilson. I, I talked about it in his impact piece when he committed, and I'm going to try and not get uh, too excited about him, but he is just a delight to watch play football. He is as fluid and athlete as you will see coming out of high school um he body control his his hands his ability to run routes he looks like an nfl receiver um and i i think that he could be one of the best receivers we've seen at ohio state i mean he's he's fantastic when well, it certainly ties into what we talked about with quarterback play in that Seems like it's a hard sell that Ohio State's coaching staff is making right now to receivers because, honestly, they know that they're going to be able to get running backs. They really don't have to do much more than just point to the NFL, 
point to the last six or seven years at, at what they've done production wise and jk dobbins in the pipeline that they have right now they're fine there but as we've seen getting that consistent receiver play has been a little bit troublesome and, it, and it's been an issue so having a guy like garrett wilson and having their name you know in the mix for these other top receivers shows that players are starting to buy into that and i think you'll see that even more after this season because I do believe that the passing game will be much improved. Yeah, I, I think that it's really kind of a wait-and-see approach for receivers because they've been told that you know Dwayne Haskins is going to be passing the ball more, Ohio State's going to be passing the ball more. And uh, Garrett Wilson certainly is, is ready to buy into that. I think Ohio State bringing in his former teammate Matthew Baldwin helped with that a lot. But it, it is kind of, you know, the, these guys want to see if Ohio State really means it, if they're really going to start throwing the ball more and getting the ball to their wide receivers more. Because it is hard to look at Ohio State the last, I mean, decade or so and think that it's a place that a receiver could really shine. I mean, we saw guys like Michael Thomas kind of wasted here and then go on to dominate in the NFL. Um, but I, I think that Ohio State's really doing a good job of laying out the plan for these receivers and you know, showing them exactly what they're going to be doing and, and what the new approach is. And I think that it's only a matter of time until they really start to bring these guys in. And I think that we'll really see the impact of passing the ball more, uh, more so in the 2020 class and beyond. But it's certainly going to impact 2019 as well. We mentioned how Garrett Wilson was at the opening this past week. Harry Miller was also there. But there was literally a couple of handful of Ohio State targets that were also at the opening, what were some of the big takeaways from that, not only from Ohio State's point of view, but nationally? Well, it was a, um, as you said, it was a pretty big uh, number of Ohio State targets there. Um, nationally speaking, there's, <clears throat> this is a really strange <clears throat> class because as we've touched on before, as plenty of people have touched on before, this is not a good quarterback class by any means. Um, there's not a five-star quarterback in this class. There's not really a premier quarterback in this class. Uh, there's not a ton of depth. It's a it's a strange group. And the 2019 class as a whole is a strange group. Um, there's really, really, really good talent at receiver. There's good talent on the defensive line. Um, there's good talent in the defensive backfield. But there's there's some weirdness at running back there's some weird weirdness on the offensive line uh you know even linebackers it, it's it's a strange class it's a class where there's a lot of teams trying to figure out exactly what these guys are all about um but in terms of ohio state it was a really good weekend um the four ohio state commitments that were there all had a a good showing uh harry miller was named the offensive line mvp Garrett Wilson had quite a few highlights, and he was named to the all-tournament team, as was Jordan Battle. And then Doug Nestor, who was the fourth commitment there, had kind of a rough weekend. He he had some some really nice plays, but he struggled in pass protection, which isn't super surprising, seeing as how his high school team doesn't really pass. But it was a good weekend for all those guys. <clears throat> um, the Buckeye targets that were there also showed out. Uh, the receivers that I mentioned were there. Um, Zach Harrison had a really good weekend in individual drills. So it was a it was a weekend that pretty much confirmed what Ohio State thought about their targets and about their commitments. And that's I mean, that's about as much as you can hope for from a from a camp like this. Obviously, it should be taken with a grain of salt because they're not playing actual football. Um, but it is good to see these guys go out and shine. Are there any other big recruiting takeaways? From you since the last time we talked, I know that Michigan got a, I think like a four-star running back, so that was good for them to see them finally picking up a, a player that could start at high-level <laughs> college football. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's that's where we we're have at. An online friend who's going to be mad about that if he hears that. <laughs> very very upset, but like on that note, because we always end up trashing Michigan in some way on on this show. It, it, I saw something as well that was like uh, Jim Harbaugh is refocusing uh, efforts in recruiting in Ohio. And I don't know. I'm not looking at Michigan's commitment list for either their 2019 or 2020. I really know who who they have in in their grasp or who they want to go after. But to me, it feels like it's kind of late for that. 
that you know other schools have made that a priority. We've seen Notre Dame and what they can do in Cincinnati, Kentucky to a lesser extent has done some things in Ohio. And it, it just seems like if Michigan does want to go that route, that Urban Meyer is smart enough to kind of scale back, I, I would say, on such heavy national recruiting and refocus on Ohio. But to me, it, it feels like that strategy is a little bit late and a little bit short-sighted for Michigan. And, and I, I don't know how that is going to work out for them in the long run. I will say that it's a – it's a weird year to to decide that this is the time you want to refocus on Ohio because it's not a good year in Ohio. Um, you know, top target Zach Harrison's obviously really really good. He's the top guy in the state, but then you have Jawan Briggs, number two, who's headed to Virginia, defensive tackle. Then you have Nolan Rumner, Rumler, who's he, who's headed to Michigan. But you know, in this top ten, you have there's nine four stars in the entire. Well, there's eight four-stars, one five-star in the entire state, which is significantly lower than usual. Um, it's not really a very good year in the state, so it's it's kind of a strange approach for Michigan to decide that this is, this is the time that they're going to take back Ohio, but um, I'm not really sure who they're taking it back from because Ohio State is not particularly interested in this class. So it is a, um, it's a very hardball approach, I guess, is to – try and drum up hype by saying that he's stealing recruits from a team that's not really recruiting them. But <laughs> um, but Darren Lee was a three-star, yeah, Patrick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a um, – there's a there's kind of a, a lull in Ohio State, you know, in, in Ohio talent for Ohio State to recruit these last couple classes. I think Ohio State fans have noticed and been very uh, loud about how much they don't like that Ohio State – is uh, ignoring low four stars in the state, but it's not something that Urban Meyer is particularly worried about. Um, Ohio State's going to get the players in Ohio that they want. Uh, they're going to do that every year. It's it's not really something that they have to make a huge effort for. Um, missing on guys like Jackson Carmen to Clemson last year was obviously a a big miss, but in general, Ohio State is is going to get the guys that they want. And um, if, if other teams decide that they want to refocus their efforts in Ohio, um, I would advise them to maybe wait a couple years before they do that. Signing eight three-star Ohio kids, going 10-2 and two and losing to the SEC to own That's ourselves. the way to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mention Michigan State either. They obviously have always done. I mean, Michigan State can actually win with them, though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing, is they can win with those dudes, and Michigan Ooh. hasn't proven that they can. But we'll, we'll get off recruiting now. There's really just a bunch of other loose stuff that we had here on our outline uh where do we want to start malik hooker not malik hooker marcus hooker got a got arrested malik hooker's little brother freshman in the 2018 class i believe it was june 16th he was charged and arrested with driving under the influence careless driving underage drinking and five other related charges this was in pennsylvania member of the 2018 class like i said i i don't know how much playing time he was going to get this season. I know that safety is one of those positions in defensive backs where Ohio State likes to have those guys, a lot of guys on the field, not only defensively, but kickoff coverage, special teams as well. But th this seems like if it were another guy in his same position and he wasn't Malik's Hooker, Malik Hooker's little brother, that it wouldn't be quite as big of a thing. But certainly unfortunate, and you hope that something – comes of it but what do you think his status is going to be this season well i i don't know about you but i haven't really seen much of anything on this after it was you know initially reported it seemed like the the news that he was arrested for a dui in pennsylvania came out and that was kind of it um i think that ohio state's probably handling it internally in fact i'm i'm sure that they're handling it internally um this is probably a situation where Maybe Marcus loses his summer scholarship. We saw Ohio State do that with JT Barrett. Um, maybe he's suspended for a couple games. But, I mean, he's not going to get kicked off the team for this. This is not something that would merit being kicked off the team. Um, he's going to be in Urban Meyer's doghouse for a little while. He'll have to work out of it. Um, I, I, it's, it's an 18-year-old making a really dumb mistake. Um, I, I think that that's 
kind of what it boils down to. I think Ohio State certainly understands that. I think Urban Meyer understands that, having been in this business for so long. Um, he will be... He will be punished within the program. I think that's about all we can assume. Um, this is not something that's going to end Marcus's career by any means. Speaking of dumb mistakes, let's talk about NBA general managers, yeah. Patrick. <laughs> and Kate Bates Diop. The NBA draft has has long come and gone. We're in summer league, but it's a perfect time to talk about it because Kate Bates Diop played his first game. What was it last night? Yep. For the Minnesota Timberwolves, scored nine points seven rebounds in his first appearance for them a little bit shocking definitely shocking to see him fall the way he did and it just felt like it was never ending and it was somebody that we talked about here on the show that we thought was going to be a late first round pick and for whatever reason it just didn't happen yeah i was uh on, on draft night i was mad on the internet about how far kata bates <laughs> diop fell because i mean this is a guy who was what probably top ten in college basketball last year in terms of yeah no, I mean definitely. won the Big Ten Player of the Year was a huge part of Ohio State being as good as they were uh, and to see him fall to I think it was forty eighth was um, I mean just insulting <laughs> I think I, I mean you you feel really bad for Kata because it's like he he did all this he did all this work for the NBA to to just kind of throw him aside and say that he's too old or he's not athletic enough. But, um, I mean, Timberwolves certainly got a steal getting him back there. I know I, I did a, a bit of a Q and a with, um, the, uh, SB nation, Minnesota Timberwolves site. And those guys are really excited about him, um, for good reason. He's a very good basketball player. And, uh, I, I think that he's certainly someone who Ohio State fans will continue to root for in the NBA. He's a really easy guy to root for. Um, and he, you know, it, it feels like kind of the steal of the draft. I don't know a ton about the NBA other than uh, I'm going to root for the Lakers now because that's where LeBron is. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it feels like Kata is, while he's not the top-end athlete that some other guys are, uh, he's just good at basketball, and that's like the main thing that you need to play professionally. Uh, so, I mean, I can't imagine him not being successful at the next level, no matter where he was drafted. Yeah, and to your point, it seems like the two or three biggest things that caused that drop would be his age. He's already 22. He'll be 23 in January. NBA teams typically like to draft a lot younger than that which is insane when you compare it to like other other sports and you look at the nba and there's guys who have been in the league for 11 years and they're 28 <laughs> years old so it, it makes sense that's just kind of how it goes i think his frame is a, a little bit slighter than you would like especially for that age i, I would guess that a, a lot of gms and, and personnel around the league don't think that he can fill out any more than he really already has in terms of bulk and I think playing off the ball too, not to say that he can't do it. We just haven't seen a lot of it. He had the ball in his hands a lot. Um, we know he can create. We know he can shoot. But seeing him play off the ball, I think, will be the most interesting thing in summer league. But I'm right there with you. He's he's a kid that can do a lot of what modern NBA teams ask for in their guys. I don't know how great I feel about him playing for Tom Thibodeau and – that really just goes for any player. <laughs> but I, I think he's the type of guy, like you said, that he's going to work hard. Uh, I think if he can prove that he can play defensively, he certainly can do enough on the offensive end to make an impact on the league. And we'll probably see him play in the G League and I, I think be in the NBA at some point, you know, in the next couple of years and be a part of a regular rotation and getting big minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that his talent is – really too great for him to not find his way onto the floor um i'm really glad that the warriors didn't draft him just because that feels like overkill um that felt like something that was going to happen yeah i i mean because they had the pick they had like the 29th pick or something and he was still there and i thought for, for sure it was like oh they're gonna take him um i'm surprised that they didn't because it, it feels like you know, you take out Kevin Durant and then you bring in miniature Kevin Durant, <laughs> um, which just feels like the kind of cruel, soul-crushing thing that they would be into. But, um, yeah, I mean, best of luck to Kata. I, I think that he's going to have plenty of success. Um, I'm 
as confident in him being successful as I am, uh, you know, as I have been pretty much any Buckeye basketball player uh, in the last decade or so. He's really, really good. Yeah, poor Warriors. They didn't draft oh, no. Kane <laughs> up, and they signed DeMarcus Cousins out of it. Like, hey, it's a total side note. Like, can we stop doing this thing in sports where something like that happens, and it's obviously, like, a very good move, and people are like, well, well, actually – like this might not work out. Like no, this this is another like death note for everybody in the NBA. Yeah. Like it sucks. <laughs> it sucks for everybody. It's Demarcus Cousins. He's really good. Like this is like when something at Alabama happens and people are like, oh, it, it may throw off the chemistry. <laughs> it's like no, it, yeah. it won't. They're, they're rolling. Yeah, like um, I, I think the best comparison is like uh, when speaking of Alabama, like when Nick Saban goes out and hires a former SEC head coach to rehab him. They're like, well, maybe he's going to break the coaching staff's chemistry. It's like, no. <laughs> no. He literally rehabbed Lane Kiffin. Yeah, he rehabbed Lane Kiffin. He's, I think, working on Butch Jones right now. I could be wrong. No, he's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, he wanted to bring in Hugh Freeze. I think they're about a year away from successfully doing that. Um, maybe that's the next place for less miles. It's, it's literally... It's Nick Saban's uh, rehab for damaged coaches. That's it. <laughs> Who's the worst coach do you, you think that he could hire? I mean, he did hire Mike Loxley. He's, he is the offensive coordinator. I think at this point he is just doing that to see what he can get away with. Like if he hired Tim Beckman, do you think that Tim Beckman would have a head coaching job in FBS in like four years? I mean, absolutely, because uh, SEC <laughs> teams are extremely stupid and will hire anyone that comes from that program. Uh, I think a better question would be if you took the man off of that uh, that last name, Tim Beck, Alabama offensive coordinator. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> head coach Tim Beck. Oh, God. Michigan head coach Tim Beck. <laughs> Why does this happen every episode? <laughs> yeah, but real, real talk, just looking at Alabama's um, and we're totally just sidetracked like we usually get yeah, here at happens. the end. Um, <laughs> looking at their staff, they low-key made the move of the offseason. They hired Craig Kuligowski from Miami to be their associate head coach slash defensive line coach. If you don't know who he is, he was at Miami, I think, definitely last year. I don't know if it was the year before, but he was the dude that was at Missouri for all those years when they were just pumping out first-round picks and defensive ends that were tearing up the Big 12 and then the SEC. So that, like, man, you go from Mario Cristobal and some of the other dudes they had defensively and on each side of the ball to a guy like that who not only can recruit but, like, has a track record of developing, like, two-star dudes, that's going to be pretty scary. Yeah, that's a very, very good hire. I would put him up there with, uh, like, Larry Johnson in terms of defensive line coaches. He's a... He's a very, very good defensive line coach, and um, you know, good to see something finally going Alabama's way. <laughs> yeah, they they really needed that. Um, before we get out of here, something that you did that was very good, much like the spot, was you wrote a long piece about the voice of college football and really the soul of college football. We'll link to it in the piece on the blog post you talked with Paul Keels from Ohio State, play-by-play man. Um, I read it the other day. I would encourage everybody listening to this to read it if you already haven't. Just looking at that piece, there was a lot of things that stood out to me. Namely, one, one of the things that he said, and I think we kind of all feel about college football and college sports in general, was the romance for it. And I think that that's probably with everything going on in college sports. And I know how you and I feel about it with paying players and head injuries in football, that there really is a lot of reasons for us to not like college sports and college football in particular. And I think a lot of that has happened with the NFL and certain decisions that they have made and college football kind of just doesn't occupy that for whatever reason, or at least as much. It's one of the things that was really striking that he talked about. And uh, just as a, a little background on the, the actual creation of this article, uh, I had no clue what it was going to be when I went into the, to the interview with Paul. I mean, I, was, I had ideas, 
but like as a general structure, I had no clue. And his quotes were so important for helping kind of direct the way that the piece went. Um, because I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about. He is a, an extremely insightful person. Um, and I was, I mean, I was just shocked by how well-spoken he was and, and how, you know, how good he was at answering these questions. And I, I suppose it's not too surprising because he does get paid to talk for a living, but, um, you know, big thanks to, to Paul because he was a, he was a huge help. Um, and you know, you, you touched on the, the romance with college sports and that was one of the things that he, he certainly touched on was how it's, it's a, you know, the, the talent level is lower in college sports than it is in pro sports and how that kind of creates more room for mistakes and that creates more room for silly things to happen. And it, it kind of makes college sports feel more human in a way, you know, it's, you see something stupid happen in college sports, you know, like a, oh, you know, you, you see like a big, a big catch from a wide receiver and he gets up and he throws his helmet and he gets a 15 yard penalty. And it's just like, why would you do that? <laughs> Ohio state losing to Iowa yeah, by yeah, 40 it's, points. It's just like stupid things happening that you don't expect that you would never see in the NFL, that you would never see, you know, college basketball to pro basketball. We saw, a 16 seed upset a one seed you would never see the worst team in the nba beat the best team in the nba in a playoff series it wouldn't happen and in college football college sports in general there's so many things going on and i I think the fact that these are people who are you know very young they're very uh green to the world very you know unsure of exactly what it is that they're doing playing college football you get those special moments, you know, you, you get players doing things that you didn't think that they could do. You get guys really stepping up and leading a team. You get third string quarterbacks winning a national championship, just weird things happening that really endear you to the sport. And I think that that was kind of my main takeaway from, from talking to Paul about what is so special about college football and, you know, what really brings that life to it is, you know, the, the, the way that you can really connect with these players because of the things that they do on the field and not just things that they say off the field. And I, I think that that's kind of the, the thing that, that makes it what it is, is the, the human side of it and how it's, it's kind of, I think the way that Paul described it was kind of an accompany an accompaniment to the rest of life. And I thought that that was a really good way to put it. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I know just reading through it, some of the, the stuff that popped up in my mind you know, immediately was the the fourth quarter in the Penn State game this past year and JT Barrett and how differently or how much differently that would be looked at just in terms of like a regular week six NFL game. Like it would be something where people are like, wow, that was like really cool. Remember when that happened? But for us as Ohio State fans, looking back on moments like that or Uh, You know, I'm cutting a Carlos Hyde video right now. That game he had against Northwestern in 2013, and he had been suspended to start the year for sugar bar activities. And him talking to the media after that game became stuff that people will never, ever forget about. Cardale Jones. There's just a tie-in to college sports and a school as big as Ohio State and how it can connect all of us together as fans despite you know different cultures different races different political views whatever it may be you know not knowing people we're all connected because of this one thing and it's not just oh i root for this team because i like football you know there's always that connection that goes deeper than i think just the game that that you miss elsewhere and something that makes college sports really great. So I wanted to shout you out for uh, for writing it because it was a pretty awesome piece. You've been killing the long forms this offseason, man. Well, thank you. I think I have more coming at some point. I, there's nothing that I can really say about those yet because I'm not really sure what they are yet. But um, there should be more <clears throat> longer stuff coming, and I'm always happy to do that. But um, you know, I, I think that just to tie, tie this all, together the you know the thing that you mentioned about the Penn State game was something that really stood out to me as I was writing this um you know and just thinking 
at least like my reaction to that comeback was that um, I think I just sat like where I was sitting watching the game. I think I just sat there, didn't really move at all for like 15 minutes after the game ended because <laughs> I was just, I mean, I was in shock. It was, it was, you know, to see JT Barrett play at Ohio State for that was the fourth season that we had see him play quarterback and to see him do something that like, I've never seen him complete 14 passes in a row in the fourth quarter to beat a top five team. And it was just, you know, it's every game in college football is so meaningful. And, you know, those big night games, they do such a great job of creating the, the atmosphere and the environment of this game is the end of the world. You know, if, if you lose this game, that's it. If you win this game, it's the best thing that's ever happened. And I, I think that that's really the, the main attraction to college football is the spectacle and that was that was another key point in the article and I I think that that was you know I I was kind of searching for the soul of college football in a way Um, and I didn't find it (laughs) because I mean it's it's kind of an impossible search but I think that that was kind of the key parts of it and it's up to you know us as individuals to decide what college football actually means to us when putting all these things together. Completely agreed. And that's a, that's a beautiful way to put it. And if you haven't read the piece, make sure to go to landgrantholyland.com. It's on the front page. You can find it, the soul of college football. You can also find Patrick's earlier piece from the off season about a history of offensive innovation at Ohio state. So check that out as well. Like you said, more stuff coming down the pipeline Keep it locked on LandGrantHolyLand.com to find all of that. Patrick, where else can they find all of your work? Uh, they can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn on Twitter. Um, if they don't want to look on our website for whatever reason for the article, I have it pinned, um, so you can find it there as well. Make sure to find Patrick there. You can find me on Twitter at DubsCo. You can find the show on Twitter at HolyLandPod. Also, subscribe to the show. Search Hang Out in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts and go to SoundCloud.com slash land grant holy land find the show there man for throwing it together i feel like we got a good 50 minutes and it was pretty cohesive we got our regular michigan head coach jokes in this uh another five stars yeah (laughs) we are we are a top recruit podcast uh watch out every other college football podcast we're coming for which which means we will not be taking official visits to Michigan because they are not sending us offers. Not not as four-star, five-stars. We're not getting the Michigan offer. No, we'll, we'll, have, to, uh, we'll have to settle for schools that uh, don't finish third in the Big Ten East. Well, that's a good place for us to wrap up. So until next time, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.